Section 69 of Reviews by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 69. The Poet's Corner, Number 7. Pell Mell Gazette, October 24, 1888. Mr. Ian Hamilton's Ballad of Haji is undeniably clever. Haji is a wonderful Arab horse that a reckless hunter rides to death in the pursuit of a wild boar, and the moral of the poem, for there is a moral, seems to be that an absorbing passion is a very dangerous thing and blunts the human sympathies. In the course of the chase a little child is drowned, a Brahmin maiden murdered, and an aged peasant severely wounded. But the hunter cares for none of these things, and will not hear of stopping to render any assistance. Some of the stanzas are very graceful, notably one beginning, Yes, like a bubble filled with smoke, the curd white moon upswimming broke the vacancy of space. But such lines as the following, which occur in the description of the fight with the boar, I hung as close as keepsake locket on maiden breast, but from its socket he wrenched my bridal arm. Are dreadful, and his brains festooned the thorn is not a very happy way of telling the reader how the boar died. All through the volume we find the same curious mixture of good and bad. To say that the sun kisses the earth with flame-mustachoed lip is awkward and uncouth, and yet the poem in which the expression occurs has some pretty lines. Mr. Ian Hamilton should prune. Pruning, whether in the garden or in the study, is a most healthy and useful employment. The volume is nicely printed, but Mr. Strang's frontispiece is not a great success, and most of the tailpieces seem to have been designed without any reference to the size of the page. Mr. Catty dedicates his book to the memory of Wordsworth, Shelley, Coleridge, and Keats, a somewhat pompous signboard for such very ordinary wine, and an inscription in golden letters on the cover informs us that his poems are addressed to the rising generation, whom, he tells us, elsewhere, he is anxious to initiate into the great comprehensive truth that virtue is no other than self-interest deeply understood. In order to further this laudable aim, he has written a very tedious blank-verse poem which he calls The Secret of Content, but it certainly does not convey that secret to the reader. It is heavy, abstract, and prosaic, and shows how intolerably dull a man can be who has the best intentions and the most earnest beliefs. In the rest of the volume, where Mr. Caddy does not take himself quite so seriously, there are some rather pleasing things. The sonnet on Shelley's room at University College would be admirable, but for the unmusical character of the last line. Green in the wizard arms of the foam-bearded Atlantic, an isle of old enchantment, a melancholy isle, enchanted and dreaming lies, and there by Shannon's flowing in the moonlight, spectre thin, the spectre Aaron sits, 
Wail no more, lonely one, mother of exile, wail no more, banshee of the world, no more. Thy sorrows are the world's, thou art no more alone, thy wrongs the world's, are the first and last stanzas of Mr. Todd Hunter's poem, The Banshee. To throw away the natural grace of rhyme from a modern song is, as Mr. Swinburne once remarked, a willful abdication of half the power and half the charm of verse, and we cannot say that Mr. Todd Hunter has given us much that consoles us for its loss. Part of his poem reads like a translation of an old bardic song, part of it like rough material for poetry, and part of it like misshapen prose. It is an interesting specimen of poetic writing, but it is not a perfect work of art. It is amorphous and inchoate, and the same must be said of the other two poems, The Dune of the Children of Lear and The Lamentation for the Sons of Turan. Rhyme gives architecture as well as melody to song. And though the lovely, lute-builded walls of Thebes may have risen up to unrhymed choral meters, we have had no modern amphion to work such wonders for us. Such verse as Five were the chiefs who challenged by their deeds the over-kingship. Bavdurg, the Dagda's son, Ilbrak of Asaro, and Lear of the White Field in the plain of Emain Macha, and after them stood up Midhir the Proud, who reigned upon the hills of Bree, of Bree the loved of Leoth, Bree of the Broken Heart, and last was Angus Og. All these had many voices, but for Bavdurg were most has, of course, an archaeological interest, but has no artistic value at all. Indeed, from the point of view of art, the few little poems at the end of the volume are worth all the ambitious pseudo-epics that Mr. Todd Hunter has tried to construct out of Celtic lore. A Bacchic Day is charming, and the sonnet on the open-air performance of the faithful shepherdess is most gracefully phrased and most happy in conception. Mr. Peacock is an American poet, and Professor Thomas Danley Supley, A.M., Ph.D., F.R.S., who has written a preface to his Poems of the Plains and Songs of the Solitudes, tells us that he is entitled to be called the Laureate of the West, though a staunch Republican, Mr. Peacock, according to the enthusiastic professor, is not ashamed of his ancestor, King William of Holland, nor of his relatives, Lord and Lady Peacock, who, it seems, are natives of Scotland. He was brought up at Zanesville, Muskingum County, Ohio, where his father edited the Zanesville Aurora, and he had an uncle who was a superior man and edited the Wheeling Intelligencer. His poems seem to be extremely popular and have been highly praised, the professor informs us, by Victor Hugo, the Saturday Review, and the Commercial Advertiser. The preface is the most amusing part of the book, but the poems also are worth studying. The Maniac, the Bandit Chief, and the Outlaw can hardly be called light reading, but we strongly recommend the poem on Chicago. Chicago, great city of the West, all that wealth, all that power invest, thou sprang like magic from the sand as touched by the magician's wand. Thou sprang is slightly depressing, and the second line is rather obscure, but we should not measure by too high a standard the untutored utterances of artless nature. 
The opening lines of The Vendetta also deserve mention. When stars are glowing through day's gloaming glow, reflecting from ocean's deep mighty flow, at twilight when no grim shadows of night like ghouls have stalked in wake of the light, the first line is certainly a masterpiece, and indeed the whole volume is full of gems of this kind. The professor remarks in his elaborate preface that Mr. Peacock frequently rises to the sublime, and the two passages quoted above show how keenly critical is his taste in these matters, and how well the poet deserves his panegyric. Mr. Alexander Skeen Smith's Holiday Recreations and Other Poems is heralded by a preface for which Principal Cairns is responsible. Principal Cairns claims that the life story enshrined in Mr. Smith's poem shows the wide diffusion of native fire and literary culture in all parts of Scotland, happily under higher auspices than those of mere poetic impulse. This is hardly a very felicitous way of introducing a poet nor can we say that Mr. Smith's poems are distinguished by either fire or culture. He has a placid, pleasant way of writing, and indeed his verses cannot do any harm, though he really should not publish such attempts at metrical versions of the Psalms as the following. A septuagenarian we frequently may see, an octogenarian, if one should live to be, he is a burden to himself with weariness and woe, and soon he dies and off he flies and leaveth all below. The literary culture that produced these lines is, we fear, not of a very high order. I study poetry simply as a fine art by which I may exercise my intellect and elevate my taste, wrote the late Mr. George Maureen many years ago to a friend, and the little posthumous volume that now lies before us contains the record of his quiet literary life. One of the sonnets, that entitled Sunset, appeared in Mr. Waddington's anthology about ten years after Mr. Marine's death, but this is the first time that his collected poems have been published. They are often distinguished by a grave and chastened beauty of style, and their solemn cadences have something of the grand manner about them. The editor, Mr. Wilton, to whom Mr. Marine bequeathed his manuscript, seems to have performed his task with great tact and judgment, and we hope that this little book will meet with the recognition that it deserves. Number 1. The Ballad of the Hadji and Other Poems by Ian Hamilton, published by Keegan Paul. Number 2. Poems in the Modern Spirit with the Secret of Content by Charles Catty, published by Walter Scott. Number 3, The Banshee and Other Poems, by John Todd Hunter, published by Keegan Paul. Number 4, Poems of the Plain and Songs of the Solitudes, by Thomas Bower Peacock, published by G. P. Putnam's and Sons. Number 5, Holiday Recreations and Other Poems, by Alexander Skeen Smith, published by Chapman and Hall. Number 6, Poems by George Maureen, published by Bell and Son. End of section 69. The Poet's Corner, number 7.